Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including special guest Bob Levy. He's the chairman emeritus of the Cato Institute. We'll be talking about some of the key cases of the last uh, Supreme Court term. We'll also visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. It is July the 26th, and on this day in 1775, the U.S. Postal System was established by the Second Continental Congress with Benjamin Franklin as its first postmaster general. He put in place the foundation for many aspects of today's mail system. During early colonial times in the 1600s, few American colonists needed to send mail to each other. It was more likely that their correspondence with, with the letter writers in Britain Mail deliveries from across the Atlantic were sporadic and could often take many months to arrive. There were no post offices in the colony, so mail was typically left at inns and taverns. In 1753, Benjamin Franklin, who had been postmaster of Philadelphia, became one of two joint postmasters general for the colonies. He made numerous improvements in the mail system, including setting up a new, more efficient colonial route and cutting uh, delivery time in half between Philadelphia and New York by having the weekly mail wagon travel both day and night via relay teams. Franklin also uh, debuted the first rate chart, which standardized uh, delivery costs based on distance and weight. I think he established Route 1A, if I'm not mistaken, from Maine to Florida uh, as, a, as the beginning of this whole project. In 1774, the British fired Franklin from his postmaster job because of his revolutionary activities. However, the following year, he was appointed postmaster general of the United Colonies by the uh, Continental Congress. Franklin held the job until late 1776 when he was sent to France as a diplomat. He left a vastly improved mail system with routes from Florida to Maine and regular service between the colonies and Britain. Uh, President George Washington appointed Samuel Osgood, a former Massachusetts congressman, as the first postmaster general of the American nation under the new U.S. Constitution. At the time, there was approximately 75 post offices in the country. Today, the United States has over 40,000 post offices, and the Post Service uh, delivers more than 200 billion pieces of mail each year. Over 144 million homes and businesses in the United States, Puerto Rico, Guam, and the American Virgin Islands, and American Samoa. The Postal Service is the nation's largest civilian employer with uh, roughly 500,000 career workers. It's kind of independent. It's a... Uh, it actually is uh, not funded necessarily by the United States government, but by postal co- cost and stamps. <clears throat> in fact, the rules for uh, running the post office are pretty stringent, should be reviewed in my opinion. So what are the fastest growing industry in America today? We see have low unemployment. And uh, well, what's your thought? What's the fastest growing industry in America? Well, it's government. During the last just-ended first half of 2023, federal, state, and local governments added 380,000 workers to their payrolls. More hires than any industry in America is more than mining, manufacturing, construction, wholesale, and transportation transportation combined. With the federal government running at a $2 trillion annual deficit with the COVID crisis long behind us, shouldn't we be systematically downsizing the government? Only industry that comes anywhere near the government in hiring so far is health and care and hospitals, and that industry is half-funded by the government dollars from government programs like Medicare and Medicaid. Unbelievable. Well, uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis was in a car crash Tuesday morning while on his way to a campaign event in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was uninjured, his spokesman said. No further information available. I think it's probably a non-event. The judge presiding over the Hunter Biden criminal case threatened Biden's legal team with sanctions over allegations about lying to the clerk's office. Hunter Biden's counsel is accused of avoiding proper court procedure and to allegedly getting information about IRS whistleblowers removed from the docket. 
Delaware Judge Mary Ellen Norieka uh, gave Biden's legal team until 9 p.m. last night to explain their side. Specifically, a lawyer from Hunter's legal team is accused of misrepresenting who she was when asking to remove amicus materials from the docket. She allegedly called to ask the clerk to seal the information instead of making a formal request uh, to the court. In other words, you know, got on the phone, hey, this is uh, somebody who's re- representing uh, the government, and we'd like you to go ahead and just get rid of these materials. <laughs> it's, it's criminal. They should be disbarred, in my opinion. Well, Republican House Speaker Kevin McCarthy said Biden's investigation is rising to the level of impeachment inquiry. House's continuing investigations into allegations President Joe Biden exchanged foreign policy decisions for cash when he was vice president of the Obama administration. Two internal Internal Revenue Service whistleblowers appeared before Congress last week to testify that the Department of Justice allegedly prevented them That's right, prevented them from proceeding with an investigation into Hunter Biden. The House Speaker said that the FD 1023 form alleges the Bidens were bribed and were subsequently passed on to the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Former U.S. Attorney General Bill Barr had uh, documents sent to his office in Philadelphia where they confirmed the document's credibility. The FBI allegedly kept this document from the IRS, he added. So not only did they claim that they were bribed, we also find information that 16 out of 17 payments from Romania were provided to Biden's shell companies when he was vice president. When President Biden was running for office, <clears throat> he took the American public that he, he told the American public that he never talked with about business with his son. He said his family had never received a dollar from China, which we now know has proven to be untrue. We now have some uh, of the most credible whistleblowers, those 10-year IRS agents who have come forward, said the Biden family has been treated uh, differently, McCarthy said. We only uh, follow where the information takes us, McCarthy alleges. This is the rising to the level of impeachment inquiry, which provides Congress the strongest power to get the rest of the knowledge and information needed. Because this uh, president has used something we have not seen since Richard Dixon, using the weaponization of government to benefit a family and deny Congress the ability to have oversight. McCarthy pointed out that Biden's family had, uh, te- c- companies had never uh, an actual office. He had just wondered why the alleged, uh, allegedly chose to take money from countries hostile to the United States, such as China, rather than American allies like France. I believe we'll follow this all the way to the end and get the, it's going to rise to an impeachment inquiry the way the Constitution tells us to do this, McCarthy said. So I think he seems a little cautious about this. I think he should jump right in and get it done. You know, we're, right now Congress is going to go on uh, vacation and uh, then the, gov- the elections come up. It just makes me wonder if this is going to get lost in the process. By the way, President Joe Biden spoke to reporters on Tuesday and claimed to have ended cancer once and for all. I'm not kidding. He really said that in a particular speech delivered to the White House on Tuesday. Biden falsely declared his administration had managed to end cancer as we know it. Biden also stated that over 100 people have died from COVID and seemed uh, not to notice the flub. And then he added, that's 100 empty chairs around the kitchen table. Somehow, one quarter of the Democrats have doubts about Biden's, uh, Joe Biden's mental fitness, according to a survey. I just can't believe this. This guy is walking around with a nuclear football, and uh, he clearly is out of it and makes comments that are just totally uh, separated from reality. He should not be president. Well, who would have ever thought that the tiny Ireland would be the backbone of the European economy? The Wall Street uh, Journal notes that the prospects for averting an EU recession hinge on Ireland and its lowest in the world corporate tax rate of 12.5%. According to the story, though Ireland accounted for just 2% of Eurozone's combined economic output in 2014, Ireland has accounted for almost a fifth of all the economic growth since then. Its share of the economics GDP is now 4%. It reminds us of uh, Arthur Laffer's quip, uh, why is Ireland always a good place to invest? Well, because the capital is always in Dublin. (laughs) It's always Dublin. So uh, that's from the uh, Committee to Unleash Prosperity. 
Well, the UPS and the union representing more than 300,000 workers at the package carrier on Tuesday said they reached a preliminary deal, narrowly avoiding a strike that was set to uh, start the negotiations in the coming days. Uh, the, uh, they asked Biden, by the way, to stay clear of the negotiations and don't get involved. Together, we reached a win-win-win agreement on the issues that are important to Teamsters leadership, our employees, and to the UPS and our customers, said uh, UPS CEO Carol Tome. This agreement continues to reward UPS full and part-time employees with industry-leading pay and benefits while retaining the flexibility we need to stay competitive and serve our customers and, and be strong. So congratulations. It still has to be approved by the uh, workers. But I think it's probably a cinch that it will be and uh, fortunately avoid. would have been had a lot of pressure on the economy for this strike to go on or to start. Well, in Britain, back, is Britain backing away from the climate change craziness? A dramatic change in Britain's energy policy may be coming. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak is hinting that London may be backing off its ban on the sale of new gas and diesel cars beginning 2030. We're going to make a progress towards net zero, but we're going to do it in a proportionate and pragmatic way that doesn't unnecessarily give people more hassle and more costs in their lives. That's not what I'm interested in and am prepared to do. Needless to say, pragmatism is the opposite of climate hysteria. More good news from the other side of the pond. UK voters handed the Labour Party a surprise defeat in the special London election to replace Prime Minister Boris Johnson in Parliament because of fierce opposition to the Labour Party's Labor Party's green car tax imposed by uh, the London Mayor Sadiq Khan. So good news from uh, London. Hopefully we'll follow suit in that regard. And this is, I'm so proud of Elon Musk for, this, for making these comments. He suggested that the coronavirus vaccine may have played a part in the collapse of LeBron James' son, Brony, who was hospitalized, buddy, with a cardiac arrest. Now, this kid's 36 uh, a top 35 or 36 basketball players in the nation. The 18-year-old USC star freshman and son of NBA star LeBron James was taken to a hospital after appearing to suffer a cardiac arrest during a workout at USC on Monday. The teen reportedly lost consciousness before being revived. Yesterday, while practicing, Bronny James suffered a cardiac arrest, the family spokesperson said. Uh, medical staff was uh, able to treat Bronny and take him to the hospital. He's now stable condition and no longer in ICU. James is now uh, in uh, stable condition at the L.A. hospital. Musk tweeted, We cannot ascribe everything to the vaccine, but by the same token, we cannot ascribe nothing to the vaccine. Myocarditis is a known side effect, Musk said, to the vaccines, that is. The only question is whether it was rare or is it common. And we've seen a lot of... Young athletes suffer cardiac arrest and all kinds of problems. And nobody's covering this. This, is, uh, this should be covered. This should be public information. And uh, right now, I think it's pretty much of a cover-up to protect the CDC and uh, Fauci and, and others, in my opinion. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Bob Levy, Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website 
at lulubees.com and stop by Lulubees Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulubees Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulubees Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. And you can find out more and get tickets to great performances. Visit the website, gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Andrew Joppa. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. He is the Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in D.C., and we're focused on free markets, private property, securing individual rights, and limited government, C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. Thank you, Bob. So uh, we're going to talk about the Supreme Court cases from the last, uh, not all of them, but about seven of them from the last Supreme Court term, and it's uh, there's some very important and interesting decisions that were made. For starters, how would you characterize the 2023 term overall? Well, we all thought that the previous year was a blockbuster, you know, with the Dobbs uh, abortion decision and the big gun case in New York. Uh, it turns out that this year's term, which was October 2022 through June of this year, was just as pivotal as the previous year. The term was, I think, especially notable for critics who insist that the court is hopelessly divided, you know, along ideological grounds. There were actually 14 ideologically split decisions in the previous year, ended June 22, but only five in the current term. And that's lower than any of the past six years. And you found the most conservative justices, who are Thomas and Alito, they dissented more than the most liberal justices, who are Jackson and Sotomayor. In fact, Sotomayor was in the majority 82% of the time, Jackson 84% of the time. Wow. The ACLU filed briefs in 18 cases this uh, a year ago during the 2022 term, and they were on the losing side in 13 of those 18 cases. But this year, they had a winning record of 11 to 7. So, you know, when we discuss seven key cases, typically, to put that in perspective, the court decides about 60 to 70 cases annually. This year, the number was only 59. But that's out of roughly 8,000 petitions for review that the court receives every year. So, Today's discussion of a few key cases are really the creme de la creme, yeah. and they involve things like social media and gay rights and partisan gerrymandering and voting rights, student loans, the Clean Water Act, and affirmative action, some really big cases this term. Yeah, that's such a fascinating information. It seems to me the public should have more exposure to those facts and figures, Bob, because it really does shed a light on some of the issues that have been raised about the political issues that have been raised about the Supreme Court. 
Yeah, another indication of how I think uh, utterly biased the uh, mainstream media is that they don't like the current court and they will do whatever it takes to disparage uh, the current court, notwithstanding data that that indicates uh, the contrary. Ah, so interesting. So let's begin the, uh, with content filtering by social media. Tell us about Gonzalez v. Google. Yeah, it's about protection from civil liability for these social media companies under um, <clears throat> Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which has been... Um, spoken about quite widely in the press. It has two major provisions. First, no website shall be treated as the publisher of any information that's posted by another uh, information content provider. And second, no website shall be held liable for restricting access to material that the site considers to be obscene or excessively violent or harassing or in any other way objectionable. So put that a little differently, Section 230 treats social media and similar websites as platforms for the distribution of information and not as publishers of the information. So if you have a gripe, you can sue the publisher, but you can't sue the platform. The Section 230 framework has triggered, as you know, a lot of concerns from both uh, the liberal side and the conservative side. The liberals want to see more filtering to screen out what they think is misinformation and offensive speech. But, if, you know, if that were the case, it might require these websites to screen every picture, every video to avoid legal liability. We have lots of newspaper online comment sections, online review sites. They're now covered by Section 230. They would probably, if 230 were changed, probably no longer exist. And here's, I think, an incredible statistic. Uh, YouTube users upload 500 hours of video every minute. So it would take an army of lawyers uh, to be able to screen that content. Now, the conservative side is just the opposite. They want less filtering because they perceive that there's bias against conservative views. But if we had less filtering, that would mean that a website would have to post things like terrorist propaganda and sexual harassment and bomb-making videos, all of which, by the way, are protected uh, by the First Amendment. So it's, it's a difficult problem. Uh, it's panned by both the left and the right. So interesting. So how does Google screen the content that it posts on YouTube? Well, instead of using their employees, uh, Google, which, by the way, owns uh, YouTube, uh, Google uses algorithms. And these algorithms are based on what you've looked at in the past. And that's what the Supreme Court was asked to review in this case. Mm. Does Section 230 immunize YouTube from liability if the company goes beyond simply providing the platform and uses algorithms to steer users to information that might be of interest. So here would be a, a bookstore analogy. Suppose Barnes & Noble provided shelf space for a book that was defamatory. So if you were defamed by that book, you could sue the author and you could sue the publisher, but you couldn't sue Barnes & Noble. Right. But suppose Barnes & Noble goes a step further and they actively recommend the book. Mm -hmm. Does that mean that the store can then be sued? And if it means that, it also means that some of these social media companies that use algorithms to guide users to specified content might also be subject to litigation. The problem with that is, how can YouTube's algorithms screen out, let's say, Nazi material without also screening out anti-Nazi or satirical Nazi material? Mm -hmm. It's a very tough call. And my view is that a roadmap to content that might be of interest to users is not the same as endorsing that content. So I personally would leave Section 230 alone. I think we need a free and robust Internet without government promoting more litigation. Yeah, but the, the problem, I think, is uh, the uh, cronyism between uh, big tech and big government. So in my mind, 
you know, <laughs> to me, if you can eliminate the cronyism, you, I, I think you're right on. But unfortunately, I think there's too much collusion between government and uh, big tech. And that's being litigated, as you know. Uh, there's been a lawsuit filed that alleges uh, collusion, coercion by big government against uh, big tech. And if it turns out that there was coercion, that quite clearly is a violation of the First Amendment, and the courts would have every reason to step in and stop that. There is, however, this distinction between collusion just for persuasive purposes on the one hand and collusion that has a coercive element on the other. Persuasion is okay under the First Amendment by government, but coercion by government is not okay. Yeah, I just uh, I think about the uh, laptop from hell, and why the information was not distributed by social media that had a major impact on the on the results of the election. So it's more subtle than uh, uh, you know promoting. It, it gets around the whole notion of uh, what you're publishing and what you're not. Yeah. So so how does Google screen the content that it posts? Oh, I should say, excuse me. How uh, what did the court conclude about the YouTube's algorithms? Well, the, regrettably, I think the court punted. So you're going to have Section 230 have to be addressed at a later date. Here's what happened. Uh, In May of this year, the court decided a related uh, case involving Twitter. And like the Google case, it was about uh, terrorist victims suing social media, claiming that social media aided and abetted terrorism. Uh, Thomas wrote the opinion 9-0, and he said that the plaintiffs in that case, in the Twitter case, didn't show that Twitter provided knowing and substantial assistance to terrorists. So liability requires more than merely posting the videos, and therefore, said Thomas, the victims had no claim against Twitter. And for the same reason, the court dismissed the Gonzales v. Google case without deciding whether Section 230 protects YouTube's use of its algorithms. So we may know more in a year or two because there are similar cases percolating uh, through the courts. But right now, that case uh, has been dismissed. The case was kicked down the road. So interesting. Uh, so complex and difficult, sticky issues. So Bob Levy, again, Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. I encourage you to visit Cato, C-A-T-O dot org. Bob, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Always a pleasure. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much, Bob. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Break Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you have questions about your retirement, Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. You're a valued professional RN. There's a path that takes you to the next level. Hodges University offers an RN to BSN program that, like you, is way above average. RNs with a BSN have a faster track to pursuing leadership positions and can see faster hourly rate increases than those with an ASN. You can earn your BSN with Hodges in just one year. Classes are online and start in August. Scholarships are available. Become the next level nursing professional. Do more. Earn more. Be more. Visit Hodges.edu today. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. They get the politics and they know policy. 
they prepare elected officials to enter uh, the legislature with winning strategies. I hope you'll visit the website, thefga.org, thefga.org. We have with us Professor Andrew Jopper, author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob, and you're not insulting me by calling me a professor, are you? No. <laughs> I'm just checking. No, no, because you have a very honorable profession to help young people expand their minds and uh, go on. And because I know you, I, I would be proud to have you as a professor. Well, 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 thank you so much for that, Bob. Absolutely. So, Andy, we start our interviews typically with some good news. you have any good news for us? Well, the good news in general is things we have to infer from stories that may not be seen as good news on the surface. <clears throat> Uh, the recent release of the Barbie movie, now that's uh, neither here nor there in terms of its uh, uh, societal, cultural importance, uh, but I think there's something that's uh, been said about it that I think is worth considering. The movie has uh, been presented as being uh, anti-patriarchy, anti-male, uh, really uh, vulgar in many of its aspects, but Glenn Beck came up with a, uh, a somewhat of a different uh, twist on it. He said, since Barbie returns to the patriarchy at the end, that actually it has an underlying conservative theme. Now, I'm not making that point necessarily, but uh, in this society, if we can see anything culturally that may be going somewhat in the right direction, I think that's, that's a good news story. Uh, in a like manner, the, the rap star Prince EA uh, has released a, uh, a somewhat controversial video, uh, a rap video, where he talks about the devil's influence on society. Now, you, you know me. I'm not, I'm not one to define things in terms of devils or any of the, the imaginary things that, that create uh, damage to a society. But I do believe there's a, a potential uh, within almost every human being for evil, uh, as there is for moral goodness. And when a society loses its, its direction, what happens is that potential for evil becomes more and more dominant. So I think that's what we're seeing in America, uh, that, that minimal potential for evil uh, that exists almost uh, across the board for all human beings is being given license to operate, uh, especially especially right now in America, Bob. Well, let me stop there and see what kind of... Yeah, well, yeah, I'm going to pile on a little bit because I think about the sound of Freedom, the movie right now that's getting such great traction, already $125 million in revenue for the movie, and it's just doing... Apps. And I th and people are spreading the word. They're suggesting other their friends go see it, which I think is, you know, the fight against uh, pedophilia and against uh, child, child trafficking. Just, I, I haven't seen the movie. I've done a lot of reading on it. I know you've you've uh, uh, advocated for the film. I think that's probably a, no, not probably. It is a good thing. One thing that surprises me is the uh, the general <coughs> leftist uh, pushback uh, against the movie, and I, I just uh, can't define the reason for. It. I mean, I can make that up and suggest that uh, it's because it weaves into its fabric uh, some of the major. Uh, uh, players within the, the, the Democrat left. I, that's something I'm adding in, that it isn't in that movie. Right. But I think that is a potential that I think is uh, perhaps causal in terms of why there is leftist pushback on, on the sound of freedom, Bob. Well, interesting uh, point, and uh, I'm not sure I understand that either, except for the fact that if uh, the right like said, if conservatives like it, they must be bad. <laughs> so they, they fight it. But I, I just can't understand how you could ever support the whole notion of uh, child trafficking and pedophilia. But um, I must say, uh, it's a big market here in the United States. According to statistics, there's about 2 million people uh, uh, that are out there who are participating, and uh, they're trafficking. This is a major market for pedophilia here in the United States. I, I'm really surprised at what seems to be the incredible size of, of, this, of this market, let's call it, for, for uh, child uh, uh, child sexual activities, uh, child porn, uh, it's, it's huge. And, and I, of course, I have no understanding of it. Uh, but on the other hand, it seems to be something that is, is not only something that exists, but it is becoming uh, more, if I can use the word, popularized across the board. Yeah. Uh, the amount of uh, child porn that is accessed uh, on, uh, on uh, cable, on wherever they can access it, is growing uh, exponentially, Bob. So right. th this is worrisome uh, as to why a society uh, would be moving in these type of directions, Bob. Let me just offer also that uh, the whole notion 
of uh, getting rid of this problem supports family values, supports getting the family back together and so forth, which, of course, if uh, you're on the left and a uh, communist or um, a Leninist or Marxist, uh, you, know, you, you want to prevent that. That's something you, don't, you want to fight. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm confused by many things. Whenever I see people acting in a manner that may in the long run or even the short run be deleterious to themselves, their own lives, their families' lives, their grandchildren's lives, and they're doing things that are obviously going to be detrimental as, as uh, time unfolds, uh, it always uh, baffles me as to why people would be acting in these manners. Of course, I revisit history. And I can find for thousands of years that is exactly what people have done, unfortunately, uh, in many societies on the verge of collapse, Bob. Yeah, absolutely. Any other good uh, uh, news? Uh, interesting story. Uh, quick story. Warren Buffett has increased his, uh, his investment in fossil fuels. Uh, now, again, I'm not sure exactly what his mindset is in terms of fossil fuels, per se, or global warming, climate change. Uh, but on the other hand, when you get a, uh, let's call him a wise investor like Warren Buffett, that is moving in that direction, I think it's an indication that he sees that fossil fuels are going to remain strong in a major part uh, of this society. Otherwise, he would not be investing uh, perhaps billions uh, in the fossil fuel industries, Bob. I think that's so true. And we're watching the failure of this whole green movement right now. Saw saw uh, that uh, the uh, production of solar panels in China produces three times the level of climate or during you know carbon intensity than uh, first predicted by the International Panel of Climate Change. So uh, there's a lot of nefarious. Uh, there's a lot of bad information out there right now, and it, all that to support the the whole notion of uh, preventing or changing climate change. And uh, in my view, it's it's all based on a false premise. Carbon well, dioxide is a good thing. I, I think that could be documented. It certainly produces a circumstance where the uh, the the prevailing consensus opinion in quotations uh, opinion about climate change uh, should be and could be challenged. Uh, as long as we're on the climate change issue, I think there's a couple of stories out there that are that are worth mentioning here. Uh, Judith Curry, a Ph.D. Uh, from the, uh, I think from Stanford, but I'm not sure about that. But a Ph.D. had formerly been one of the consensus members of anthropogenic global warming. But she's recently uh, not withdrawn from that per se, but she said you cannot. In this discussion, you cannot leave out the implications of natural climatic variation, yeah. uh, which is in, in many cases uh, by those that are the doomsday uh, prophets of, of climate change destruction, leave it out entirely. In other words, they, they go entirely with anthropogenic uh, climate change uh, as compared to what she suggests is the majority of the impact even if there is some anthropogenic, will be, in fact, uh, caused by natural climate variation. I think that's, that's an important breakthrough in terms of uh, the way uh, meaningful scientists are beginning to move uh, in these directions. Uh, so I think that's good news. Uh, in terms of, uh, again, I'm always looking for, for, for trends, and I think this, this may be the start of a trend, hopefully. I, th I think so, Andy. And In fact, to solve the problem of, quote-unquote, climate change, I suggest that we just pant, uh, plant about a trillion trees to create more carbon dioxide uh, so that we, we can get more oxygen spread in the, uh, in the environment. Anyway, we need to take a little break. Can you stick around? I'll be here, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Gain the skills you want so you'll be in demand by employers. That's what Hodges University's workforce readiness is all about. Choose your specialty from EV technician, automation, robotics, real estate, insurance, and electronics to programming boot camps, supply chain management, and more. These classes are online, affordable, and focused on what you need to know. Learn more today by visiting Hodges.edu and clicking on Workforce Readiness. Because with Hodges University, you'll stay near and go far. 
Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Always good to be here, Bob. Any more good news? Um, and in third good news story, you know, we have to draw something from what doesn't seem to be a good news story. Uh, but Senator Dick Durbin of Illinois uh, has just come down with COVID for the third time. Now, again, that obviously on the surface doesn't seem like good news story. Uh, he's been uh, vaccinated. Uh, he was boosted twice. And this is the third time. So I think it sets up questions, uh, obviously questions about the efficacy of the vaccine, and beyond that, the implications of natural or acquired immunity. In his case, having had it three times and getting the vaccine and boosters, he seems to still be vulnerable. The good news that I'm extracting from this story is that as a man in his middle 70s, that Dick Durbin is, is handling this very well in terms of his health. So I think this is the good news. The good news is that I believe the, the strain is weakening, and I think it's not having the, the initial impact that it did several years ago. Uh, and I think that's, that is a good news story. On the other hand, I'd like to see some explanation as to why he is still vulnerable to COVID, even after all he's been through, Bob. Yeah, two, two different uh, additional points. You may be aware that Bronnie James, LeBron James' son, had cardiac arrest and was uh, taken to the hospital they revived him, and he's now going to be okay. He's out of the ICU. But the point being, we see so many young athletes, strong, vibrant young people, uh, who uh, have these types of attacks. And uh, we don't. We're not. I, there's a cover up. I think we should have a lot of information, transparent uh, information about what's happening here in the United States and around the world with regard to these vaccines. Well, I think the number uh, I saw the number recently has increased rather dramatically over the past just few years. Uh, but no, he will not be okay. He'll be, uh, in terms of living his life, he'll be okay. But he will not, in all likelihood, ever play competitive basketball again. And that's a shame. Yeah. I know LeBron James had said he was going to retire when Bronny uh, made it to the NBA, and they would they would play, he would play his last game with his son. And you know, I'm not a big LeBron James fan, but I think it's a it's a sad story to hear that. Uh, and I don't think that Bronny James will ever play competitive basketball again. So uh, in a in a in a, in a a personal sense, yes, he'll be okay. But in terms of his athletic sense, no, I, I don't think I don't think his athletic career will go on from here. Yeah, so interesting. Also, Andy, uh, apparently the Biden administration has decided to establish a permanent office of uh, for the pandemic response. In other words, uh, they're planning for the next one to coming along. I think it might be planned. Again, my own nature of being suspicious about what's going on in government, but uh, not good news for the American public. Well, I mean, uh, obviously, it's a tool they found out that can be used uh, to control the society and, uh, and influence the directions of society. So, uh, the, knowing the left, uh, if a tool can uh, help them in their in their uh, nefarious schemes, certainly they would not hesitate hesitate to use it. Bob, absolutely. So, you published this an interesting. In fact, I've got it on my website. If you go to Correct me if I'm wrong. On my website, it's a pull-down tab. You can find Andy's columns. I published many of them. And uh, you published one on Gina Haspel. Maybe you can tell us about it. Well, this is, 
I think I'm not making a claim to anything about myself, but I, I know of no one else that's moving in this direction. And yet I think it's an important question. I, I position it. Uh, if what I'm going to tell your audience now is true, this is one of the greatest conspiracies in the history of the country. Uh, for your audience, Gina Haspel was the head of the CIA at the end of the Trump administration, going into the Biden administration. She was uh, implicated, let's call it implicated, uh, in the uh, Frankfurt, Germany, uh, computer farms, which were tied in theoretically to the 2020 election. So here you have Haspel, head of the CIA, involved with the computer farms in Frankfurt, Germany. It's reported she's killed, injured, or arrested in Frankfurt, Germany. Now, that's the story. And now from that point forward, my point is, Bob, I can find no documentation that Gina Haspel is alive. In other words, we've heard uh, that she tweeted. We've heard that she's working someplace. But in all the research I've done and trying to put this into my, my reading audience to get some feedback, I've not been able to receive any confirmation that Gina Haspel is alive. If she is not alive, if her death has been covered up, that conspiracy is enormous in its implications of, first of all, what it's covering up right. and the government's ability, perhaps the CIA's ability to generate a cover up so extensive that it could that it could prevent the awareness that Gina Haspel is dead. Now, I don't I am not saying that, by the way. Right. I am saying there's nothing that would dissuade me from that point of view. Well, there's been a, a tradition or a, long, a legacy of death in the, from the CIA, and I would include uh, suspicious deaths of, for example, RFK uh, 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 and uh, JFK, and as well as Martin Luther King uh, Jr. Just to mention a couple, but uh, you know, it is not beyond the CIA to make sure that people are eliminated and just disappear. Well, that seems to be the premise that, uh, that the CIA is operating under. And I'm not saying it's a situational premise. I'm saying it's a, a premise within their, 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 let's call it, doctrines, uh, that in fact if something is a threat to the United States, in their opinion, that that person should be removed. Uh, that would apply to the death of a, uh, a CIA scientist, Frank Olson, back in 1953, Obviously, he was murdered. I'm not saying obviously because I think so, but it's been well documented that the CIA murdered this scientist, Frank Olson, because they saw him as a security threat uh, to the CIA's operation in terms of biologic and chemical warfare. Uh, so that, that happened. We had last night on uh, the Hannity Show, we had RFK Jr. Uh, also suggesting there is full documentation of the CIA's uh, involvement with the JFK assassination, including absolute documentation that Lee Harvey Oswald uh, acted, uh, was uh, employed by the CIA, uh, perhaps acted under their influence, but that's, a, uh, that's an extension of thought. Uh, so we're looking at, a, at an, an organization that is almost clandestine in its, in its reality, yeah. uh, where the American public has very little awareness of, of its actions, not only uh, the ability to murder because they see it as appropriate, an internal position, but because they're willing to take dramatic action, such as their actions to remove the Russian uh, favoring leader in Ukraine in 2014. Well-documented situations. Uh, these are things that should not take place by what is called an independent agency. In other words, an agency that can act under its own auspice with no need to gain authority elsewhere. So that is a dangerous organization uh, that right now exists in America, and there doesn't seem to be uh, any uh, any awareness, I would say, of that of the potentials that exist within the CIA's clandestine operations, Bob. So interesting. Andy, we need to take a break. Can you stick around? Be here, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you have questions about your retirement, Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239 239- 
325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The confident retirement approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. ask yourself why people are the way they are. If you're fascinated by human behavior and you want to make a career of it, you know where you need to start? Hodges University with a bachelor's degree in applied psychology. Your professors are practicing professionals that bring your classes to life with life chat discussions and various projects. You know, having a deeper understanding of what motivates people can lead to careers in counseling, sales, human resources. Your passion can be your career. So get started today. What are you waiting for? Visit Hodges.edu or stop by their campus in Fort Myers. They're at the corner of Colonial and Winkler. Because with Hodges University, you're going to stay near and go far. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Just a reminder that uh, Lulabee's Diner, serving great breakfasts and lunches, is now serving dinner Wednesday through Saturday, 4 to 8 p.m. The menu's great. The food's terrific. And uh, it's informal. Don't need a reservation. You can stop by, and it's great value. So Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, again, thank you for joining us. My favorite place to be, Bob. Absolutely, Andy. So uh, let's pick up on, uh, we we mentioned... uh, RFK, and uh, he he was interviewed on the Hannity show the other night, and there's some interesting things going on on the uh, conservative or the Republican primary. What are your thoughts? Well, I find that uh, RFK Jr. and Vivek Ramaswamy are the two most valuable <coughs> primary candidates. Now, when I say valuable, I don't mean in terms of their uh, potential of, of gaining the presidency, but just in terms of the contribution they're making uh, to the public debate. Uh, RFK Jr., uh, last night on, on Hannity, uh, of course, Hannity in his, uh, his, his typical mode would, would make actually a declarative statement at the end, ask a question, but uh, you know, RFK Jr. was a agreeing uh, almost in total uh, to the conservative talking points being offered by by Hannity. So uh, that was encouraging to hear that that apparently is the way uh, that RFK Jr. is is going. Uh, We're also seeing with RFK Jr. the the absolute pushback against free speech uh, that uh, that he's uh, uh, going through in terms of what we saw in Congress, particularly with Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Uh, So I think he's documenting for us uh, that process of of, uh, of exactly uh, how we should be able to see the left. And again, it, for the, those on the left that are still able to think rationally, uh, I think this should be uh, something that exposes the left to them. Uh, and I'm not being unduly optimistic about that, but I think for some of them it must penetrate their, uh, their, 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 their mindset. Uh, so I think that, uh, that's the contribution of RFK Jr. He is challenging prevailing viewpoints, and I think that's what a primary challenger should do. In a like manner, Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, is just, I'm not sure yesterday, day before yesterday, indicated the first thing on his agenda would be to close down federal agencies uh, as best he could. Now, that's going to be a difficult piece of work, but he talked about the uh, the uh, the uh, 
uh, education. He talked about the FBI. Now, again, he's not suggesting that the functions of the FBI should be rejected and we shouldn't be performing those functions. He is just, he's just suggesting that the FBI in its current form should not, or perhaps any form, should not be performing those functions. Those functions should be distributed among other agencies or other agencies, subset agencies created to perform uh, what are generally the, the criminal functions of the FBI. So I think that's a valuable position to take. I think that's, uh, it should be exposing one of the greatest problems in terms of uh, deficit spending, the national debt, is the existence of unnecessarily, unnecessary federal agencies and the impact they make uh, as unelected bureaucrats across the board. So I think Vivek Ramaswamy is doing that. I, I really like this guy. Uh, RFK Jr., I think, is, is heroic and courageous. So I think we're, we're getting a lot out of the candidacy uh, of both of these two gentlemen. Uh, and I really don't see a lot of, of anything uh, significant coming out of anyone else's candidacy at this point. You know, I, I totally agree with you. In fact, I think RFK Jr. should become a role model for other Democrats. There's so much uh, dishonesty. There's so much uh, uh, personal attacks on the part of the left and the way they're doing politics right now. I think they should take a, take a look at RFK Jr. and think about his intelligence, his uh, thoughtful approach to issues, and uh, he should be emulated by other Democrats. And you're quite right, Vivek uh, Ramaswamy is... He is uh, charismatic, and he is articulate, and he is uh, thoughtful. I just think he's a great candidate. I don't think he'll become president, but I think he is a valuable resource for us going forward. Well, let me just point out something that's different between those of us that are considered to be conservative on the right. But they were considered that. I don't know if we see, our, see ourselves that way. But we can talk about uh, competitors for our, for our favorite candidate. Mine is Trump. I, I would... I think it's yours also. Yes. Uh, but but the, that notwithstanding, but we're able to have a conversation lauding Ramaswamy, lauding RFK Jr., in an environment where those people are challenging our, our favorite candidate. Uh, that's something you never, ever see on the left, Bob. That's a great point. Before I let you go, Andy, I, I do want to get your thoughts about the Kamala Harris's visit to Jacksonville and her comments about the curriculum on African-Americans. Absolutely outrageous. I have read uh, all of the, well, not all of it, I've, I've read all of the extractions from the Florida uh, education uh, piece for the African-American curriculum. Uh, there's 145 different references to slaves, slavery, uh, and so forth. I've read all of those. This is a uh, an enlightened piece. It's uh, it's thorough. It's uh, it's it's wonderful in its understanding of the of the pains of slavery. And uh, and and again, it mentions, of course, how how America has tried uh, in 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 spurts, of course, uh, to deal with with these issues. Uh, so again. And it's it's a good document. The the thing that that uh, Harris focuses on is that the slaves somehow uh, improved themselves under slavery. Not all of them, but slaves because the slaves were intelligent people because they were committed to their own quality of lives as best they could. These slaves became other things during their slavery. Now. Harris, pounding on the desk, indicated this was documenting that somehow uh, someone was saying that slavery was good. No one was saying that at all. Nothing in the Florida curriculum uh, indicates that. Uh, so again, it's just another absurd uh, concept of, of the left as they go about making racism the divisive issue uh, in the society. I'm always pleased at the high degree of quality coming out of African-Americans on the right. I mean, as the stark difference between the African-Americans on the left and on the right politically is incredible. When we look at Byron Donalds, Tim Scott, Wesley Hunt on the right, as compared to almost any African-American on the left, you can see that that is the great divide in the African-American community. Are they able to understand the implications of what the uh, conservative positions are, which are preserving the quality of American life, as compared to those on the left, which are invested in, in destroying the quality of American life. Absolutely. Just the juxtaposition between Kamala Harris and RFK Jr. Which Democrat would you choose? 
<laughs> I've got my answer. Or, or Debbie Wasserman Schultz and any rational person. <laughs> Andrew Jopp, again, professor of, and author of Josephus of Oz. By the way, a great read. I encourage you to take a look at it. Off topic for today's discussion, but really interesting. Andy, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much by, for joining us. By the way, the sales of my book have picked up. I, I attribute that entirely to you, by the way. <laughs> Thank you so much, Andy. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. We've got some great uh, guests for tomorrow's show as well, including Keith Flaw, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance, Michael Cannon from the Cato Institute, and Seton Motley, president and founder of Less Government, and Bill Barnett will be joining us as well, former mayor of Naples. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>